0: It's great to be together this morning, it's great to be spending some time remembering and uh, uh, we know that we remember today thousands of men and women following leaders, captains into battle at great cost, paying a price for us that uh, we now enjoy freedom. And it's appropriate today's theme is following, following Jesus, And uh, so we're going to read some verses from Luke chapter 9. We're going to be looking at Luke 9 today. So it will come up behind me on the screen. So Luke 9, and uh, I'm going to read a number of verses. So starting at verse 1. Reading through to verse 9 and then reading verses 18 to 26. But I will, through uh, this morning, refer to other bits of the chapter. So if you want to keep your Bible open, that's great. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. So this is what it says. Summoning the twelve, he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. Then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for the road, he told them. No staff, no traveling bag, no bread, no money, and don't take an extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. If they do not welcome you when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and traveled from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing everywhere. Herod the Tetrarch heard about everything that was going on. He was perplexed. Because some said that John had been raised from the dead. Some that Elijah had appeared. And others that one of the ancient prophets had risen. I beheaded John, Herod said. But who is this I hear such things about? And he wanted to see him. Then going on to verse uh, 18. This is Jesus while he's praying in private. While he was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, others, Elijah, still others that one of the ancient prophets has come back. But you, he asked them, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. But he strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to no one, saying, it's necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and be raised the third day. Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. Your word is powerful and active and it speaks into the very issues of our lives. And so, Father, we pray today that as we unpack this passage of Scripture, would you reveal Christ to us, that we would see him, that we would adore him, that he would captivate our hearts again. Amen. So a major theme that's running through Luke chapter 9, and in fact, the rest of the gospel is following Jesus. Follow me is a phrase that Jesus says regularly. Later in the book of Acts, uh, Luke refers to Christians as followers of the way. And Jesus himself says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's the only way to God is Father. And so this chapter opens with Jesus calling his 12 disciples together, giving them power and authority to heal the sick and drive out demons before he sends them out to preach the kingdom of god is among you they proclaim this good news and we're told they heal everywhere herod king herod the ruler of galilee hears what's going on and we're told he's perplexed why why is he perplexed what's bothering him well, he'd imprisoned John the Baptist. John the Baptist had publicly rebuked him about his relationship, his marriage to his brother's wife, Herodias. And John had also challenged him at lots of the other wicked and evil things that Herod had done. And Herod's response was to silence John. He literally silenced him by cutting off his head, beheaded him. And if Jesus is just another prophet, if Jesus is just someone bringing a moral message, challenging Herod, Herod will do the same to him. And yet, Jesus isn't just preaching morality. Jesus is preaching about a new kingdom breaking in. And Herod is perplexed. He's hearing people say that Jesus is John the Baptist raised from the dead. If he's John the Baptist raised from the dead, Herod thinks, well, if he's raised from the dead, then cutting John's head off made no difference. And so Herod is threatened. He's threatened that a new kingdom's coming in that's going to challenge his rule and reign. If Herod's perplexed, Jesus' disciples are being stretched. Up until now, Jesus has done everything. They followed around. It must have been great in those early days, uh, being with Jesus, watching and listening. Wow, what's he going to do today? What are we going to see today? And then suddenly Jesus says, right, now I'm going to send you out on your own, two by two, you're going to go out and you're going to go into the villages and you're going to do what I've been doing. Uh, (coughs) Sorry. You can imagine how they would have felt in moment like that Jesus tells them that they're not to take any provisions with them don't take a bag or an extra cloak or don't take bread with you basically they needed to trust God to provide for them wherever they went and then sandwiched between the two passages we read there's an incident where Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people in a remote place there's 5,000 men, we're told, probably uh, with women and children, there's much more. And they are miraculously fed by Jesus. The place is remote. There's a big crowd. Jesus is preaching and healing the sick. And it starts to get late. And the disciples come to Jesus and say, Jesus, you need to send these people away because it's getting late. They haven't got something to it. They need to find somewhere to stay. And they need to get some food. And Jesus says, you feed them. Sorry, you feed them. You give them something. (laughs) And then Jesus saves the moment by feeding everybody out of a, a small boy's lunchbox. And there's food left over. Jesus is preparing his disciples to follow him. What it means to follow him. And today, we're going to look at the crux of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I want to draw out four things from verses 20 to 26. And the first thing we see of followers of Jesus is that there is a confession of faith. Everybody has an opinion on who Jesus is. Everybody in our world today has an opinion. Oh, he was just a good man. Ah, he was just a good teacher. He did some good things. The film and book, The Da Vinci Code, have tried to convince us that he was just a man and he was married to Mary Magdalene and had a daughter. For centuries, artists have tried to convey him to us. Authors have described him. Songwriters have sung songs about him and even recently, cartoons have caricatured who Jesus is. No wonder people are so confused about Jesus Christ. And up until now, Luke has been unpacking who Jesus is. He's been focusing on the question, who is this Jesus? It's the question that everybody's been asking. The crowds, as we've read through Luke's gospel, we've seen the crowds asking, who is this? Who is this Jesus? We've seen John the Baptist in a moment of doubt even start to question and send his disciples. See that in chapter 7, coming and saying to Jesus, are you the one who was, was to come? Even the disciples, Jesus' disciples on the Sea of Galilee after Jesus calms a storm in chapter 8 verse 25, his disciples say, who oh, is this that he can even calm a storm? And Herod, as we've just seen, Herod, uh, Jesus called that old fox. He's saying, "Who, who is this? Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? You see, as you read this, you see that people, the people, the crowds, they're convinced that Jesus is more than just a good man, more than just a teacher or a prophet. And some of the things they say, that he's John the Baptist come back from the dead, or an Old Testament prophet that's been raised to life, or Elijah. Why this focus on Elijah? Well, for many people in the day, for Jews in the day, Elijah stood uh, for the sword of Messiah, the deliverer that they were looking for. He fitted the bill for what they thought they needed. He's the one that confronted a wicked king, Ahab, on Mount Carmel. They're thinking of the Roman oppressors around them. We could do with an Elijah today. Elijah had called down fire from heaven. He had confronted the ungodly uh, idol worship that was going on in the day. Elijah could control the weather. Well, we've, this, this man seems to control storms. And Elijah hadn't died. So maybe Jesus was Elijah. It would be great if Jesus was Elijah and could come and do exactly what we know Elijah would do in this moment. We're all looking for a superhero to step in and, and do what we think they need to do. And Jesus makes it personal. He says, Who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? That's the question that each one of us are faced with today. Who do you say Jesus Christ is? Peter's answer is straightforward You are God's Messiah. In Matthew 16, verse 16, it says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter has had a revelation. Something has clicked. He's suddenly seeing Jesus is not just a good teacher. He's just not a rabbi. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah, the one, the A perfect king that the Old Testament talked about. The anointed one from eternity. Come down from heaven. Who would deliver God's people and bring lasting peace. The one that they had been looking for for centuries. It's this very thing that Jesus is later crucified for. The high priest asked him, are you God's Messiah? And Jesus says, "I am." And the high priest tears his clothes. He says, "Blasphemy!" Peter's declaration is a declaration that this is God's deliverer. This is God's Son, the Son of God. What about us? Who do we say Jesus is? Who Jesus is? Have you been going through life just maybe thinking Jesus is a myth? a good teacher, a prophet. Maybe you view him as a superhero like Elijah, someone who's just gonna do what you need him to do in the moment. Or is he God's answer to this sin-sick world? Is he the one that's been sent from God to rescue us from ourselves and everything that keeps us from a relationship with the living God who loves us? Are we convinced about who he is? That he is both completely God, completely man. God come to save us, to die on our behalf. You see, we need a revelation of who Jesus is. We read of Saul on the Damascus Road. Saul going his own way, murdering Christians. And then there's a moment and Jesus appears to him on the Damascus Road. He says, who are you? It says, I am Jesus, you are whom you are persecuting. We read of two on the Emmaus road. They're walking along. They're disappointed, dejected. Jesus hasn't been the Elijah they thought he was going to be. He's been crucified on a cross, and they're dejected, disappointed, leaving Jerusalem, going home. And Jesus walks alongside them, and as he unpacks from the Old Testament, who this Messiah really is and reveals to them that actually he is the Messiah. Their eyes are opened. They have a revelation. That's why in these days when there are in Muslim countries where it's difficult for people to preach about Jesus God is appearing to Muslims in dreams, and and Jesus is coming to them in dreams and revealing Himself to them. They have a revelation of who Jesus is. When we baptize people in a few weeks' time, the key point about their testimony is that they've had a revelation that Jesus is God's Son, He is their Savior. Have you had that revelation? Do you know who Jesus is? If you're here this morning, if you're here this morning and you have never put your trust in Jesus, my prayer is that this morning God's Holy Spirit opens the eyes of your heart and you see him for who he is. Your Messiah, your Savior, your great hope. It's a confession of faith. The second thing we see in these verses is that there's a conflict of expectations you see the first eight chapters of luke they're all about jesus is coming from the virgin mary being told by the angel that she's going to give birth to a son and call him jesus did you get that a virgin giving birth to a son and she's to call him jesus and call him jesus because he will save his people from their sins That's what we're told in Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. Then an angel appears to shepherds proclaiming a Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord, the Messiah. The early chapters of Luke are all about Jesus is coming. God breaking into this world, this needy world, this dark world. Coming in the light of the world, breaking in. Everyone is expecting a, 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 a Messiah who's going to deliver them from Roman oppression, a new Elijah, and restore the kingdom to Israel, we're told. The disciples, suddenly, their eyes are opened, and like Peter, they see that Jesus is God's Son. He is the Messiah, He is their Savior. Suddenly, Jesus says He's going. He's coming and suddenly he says he's going. He must be killed. What? We just had a revelation of who you are. You're going to be killed? What on earth is going on? Let me tell you this. Only when we have a revelation of who Jesus is can we understand what he came to do. He didn't come to overturn Kingdoms of this world with a show of power like every other kingdom that's come before. He came in to bring God's kingdom in God's way. It is necessary, Jesus said, it is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things, be killed, and be raised on the third day. In the NIV translation, it says, must. The Son of of Man must suffer many things, must be killed. He must be rejected by the religious people of the day. Must Must die, must rise again on the third day. This is the plan of Almighty God. This is the plan of God from the foundation of the world, we're told. God's plan to deal with our sin, to reconcile us to God, to bring us back into relationship with the Father in heaven who loves us. None of what Jesus talked about had been properly understood. No wonder the disciples simply didn't get it. Yet all of it had been prophesied by Elijah 700 years earlier. Listen to what Isaiah says. In Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was upon him and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We've all turned to our own way and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. On Remembrance Day, how appropriate For us to focus on Jesus laying down his life to bring us into a far better kingdom. A kingdom based on better values, righteousness, justice, truth, mercy, compassion, love, and kindness. Thirdly, we see a commitment required of those who follow. Jesus starts to unpack in verse the next verse, what it means to be a follower. talked talks about denying ourselves and taking up our cross daily. Taking up our cross daily is referring to crucifixion. I want to tell you, there were zero survivors of Roman crucifixions. There are no known survivors of a Roman crucifixion. One out of one die. The cross speaks of us dying to ourselves every day. It's underlining Jesus' claim on our lives. Let me try and explain it in this way. I heard Tim Keller use this illustration. I've changed it slightly. So if I am uh, back in Wales and uh, I bump into someone uh, and I say, hey, I'm, I'm and they look at me and they say, hey, are you Eileenid's boy? You're the spit of her. She was a wonderful woman. Really loved your mum. How's it? Chick? Steve Chick? Oh, you're, you're not Albert's son. Oh, he was a tricky character. <laughs> I hope you're not like him. If you want me, you get all of me. You can't pick and choose which bits of me you want. Jesus is not like a tin of quality street that you can open up and go, well, I don't like the orange ones. (laughs) If we give our lives to Jesus Christ, he gets it all. We get all of him. With Jesus, it's all or nothing. David Watson in his book, Discipleship, says this. There can be no half measures with Christ. If we want to be his disciples, we must take his supreme authority as Lord over every part of our life, without any exception. If we're not willing for him to be Lord, he cannot be our savior. With Jesus, it is all or nothing. Jesus wants our undivided attention. He deserves our undivided att- attention. If I'm driving in the car, and I don't give driving my undis- undivided attention, there going to be a tragedy unfold. I'm going to do myself harm, and I'm probably going to do other people harm. So if I'm driving, and I'm suddenly, I'm going, oh, they, I need to pick that up. I can't do it driving is so important it's so crucial it needs my undivided attention you cannot play fast and loose with jesus christ he deserves your undivided attention he deserves it all if you if you're taking your eyes off him you're going to get into trouble when peter's on the water and he's got his walking on the water he's got his eyes fixed on jesus he's fine when he takes his eyes off jesus and he starts to look around he starts to sink and he's in trouble Jesus deserves our undivided attention. And at the end of this chapter, of chapter 9, we read of three people who come to Jesus, who want to follow him. Verses 57 to 62. And yet Jesus knows what's going on in their heart. He knows he doesn't have their undivided attention. He challenges them that he must come first before possessions, the homes they live in. The families they have. Remember what he says to the rich young ruler who comes to him. Jesus, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, well, there's one thing you lack. You need to give up your wealth. That's something in your heart. That's what the Bible calls an idol. Something that has priority in our hearts. Jesus says, no, no, I must come first. And the rich young ruler goes away sad because he can't give it up. Are there things that have priority in our lives over Jesus? He deserves our undivided attention. Someone had a prophetic word for us as a church a few weeks ago. And the word was essentially saying about idols that we have in our hearts. And how we need to remove idols. How do you remove an idol? Something that's got first place in your heart. How do you think something that seems to dominate your thinking is so important? You, the thing that you think I could, I, I just couldn't give that up. Whether it's something we're doing or uh, maybe it's something we have, I couldn't give that up. Thomas Chalmers in the 18th and 19th century was a, a Scottish Presbyterian minister. And he said the only way that you can deal with something like that, a a love, something that's got priority in your heart, he talks about the expulsive power of a new affection. It takes a greater love to push out what's there. What's that love? What's the expulsive power? It's a love for Jesus Christ. If you love Jesus Christ with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, other things become less important. And so the challenge for us is that Jesus deserves our undivided attention. One of the three at the end of this chapter tells Jesus he needs to bury his father. I've read read some commentators over the years saying that they think maybe the father was still alive. And he's saying, well, when I've buried, when I've dealt with family stuff, I'll come and I'll follow you. Jesus says, no, no. Let the dead bury their own dead. What's he saying? I mean, I've been to loads of funerals. I've been to loads of funerals. Dead people don't bury anybody. They don't. It just doesn't happen. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying, let the spiritually dead deal with those. You are spiritually alive. You carry a message Of life. Go and preach the message of life. Don't focus on things of this world. Let that thing be your priority. Jesus deserves everything. He created the universe. He sustains it by his power. He knows us inside out. He is the son of the living God the one who has come from his Father in heaven, who has come to rescue us and redeem us by his death on the cross, by his resurrection from the dead. He deserves our everything. There's a commitment to follow. And finally, there's, we see a confidence of salvation. Jesus warns us that if we want to save our life, and when he's saying that, he's using the word psyches, The word is what he really means is soul. If we want to save ourselves, the whole of us, he says, if we want to do that, we'll end up losing it. But he says, if we give ourselves to him, if we die with him, if we give ourselves to him, we'll find that we're saved. What he's, the point he's making is we can't rescue ourselves by our own effort. You, if you're here today and you, you're thinking, well, that's all very nice, Steve, but I'm not so sure. I, I, I'm, I'm a good person. Jesus is saying you can't save yourself. You need a savior. Only as we give ourselves wholly to Christ do we have assurance that we are rescued, saved for eternity. As Joel was bringing this morning as he shared Our only confidence for eternity is that Jesus died for us. We are now his followers. We can't change ourselves. Jeremiah says that a leopard can't change its spots. How do we change ourselves? How do we do? The best we do is that we can try harder and try to be a better person. I tell you, it doesn't work. We will fail. We will not hit the mark. God's holiness is the mark. We'll never make it. We need help, we need someone to rescue us and Jesus Christ has done that for us. We can't change our own hearts. Trying harder ultimately always fails. If we put our trust in Jesus for what he's done for us, we receive grace. The free and merited favor of God and grace changes everything. It's not about what we do, it's about what Jesus has done for us. Grace is a gift from God. It's the work of the Spirit who comes in to make us more like Jesus, to transform us, we're told, day by day from one degree of glory to another. You may think, well, I'm not doing very well. Well, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus The author and perfecter of faith. He's the one that perfects us day by day. It's about a changed heart. We can't change our own hearts. But we can grow in grace, we're told. Paul, Peter exhorts us to grow in the grace and knowledge of of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in Luke chapter 9, the end of Luke chapter 9, we see the disciples growing in grace. There's a moment where... We see them arguing about who's the most important. I mean, we all think we're the most important person, don't we? We have a great sense of our own self-importance. And the disciples are arguing which one of them is the most important. And Jesus tells them that as his followers, we die to our own sense of self-importance. Become like small children. As we do that, we become great in God's eyes. We see the disciples wanting to destroy a Samaritan village who wouldn't welcome Jesus. Come on, Jesus, should we call down fire on them? That's what Elijah would do. Jesus says, no, rebukes them. They learn, they learn something. As they listen to what he says, they, start, they grow in grace. As we draw to a conclusion this morning, Do you have a confession of faith? Who is Jesus to you? Do you know that he's God's son who's died for you? Have you personally accepted him as your savior and Lord? Have you given him your life? Have you put your trust in him? If you haven't, you can do it today. That is the glorious gospel. You don't have to do anymore and say, Jesus, I put my trust in you. I give you my all. There's a commitment, though, of following. You can't pick and choose. You can't pick and choose with Jesus. It's all or nothing. He wants your undivided attention. He deserves it. And our Christian life is a journey of constantly coming to him and him helping us to keep doing that day by day. And as we do that, we have a confidence, a confidence that we belong to him, that we are people who live in the grace of God, all that he's done for us. We did nothing, he did it all. We want to be a people who grow in grace. Do you know, Jesus is amazing. He is absolutely amazing. There's nobody like Jesus. And in the middle of Luke chapter 9, We read an incident where Jesus is revealed on the Mount of Transfiguration in all his glory and suddenly God speaks the last word. He says, this is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. And God's last word to us this morning is this. Jesus Christ is my son. That's what God says. He's the chosen one. Listen to him. Will you do that?